of geographical distances in 2012, we had recorded a cassette and a CD. I initially used the entire album in this episode since it's not available on any digital platform, but I had to cut out about half of most of the songs to be able to fit everything into 160 megabytes, which is the limit for an episode. The song you already heard is called Seas and the other titles are listed in the show notes. I mean, what am I just saying what my name is? Or am I supposed to kind of be like, hey, my name's Callum. I'm I'm not sure what else I would even say. I guess I can just introduce myself as I would introduce myself, which is to say that my name is Callum Plowright. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say. That's beautiful. Yeah. Who is Callum Plowright? Who is Callum Plowright? Um, at the moment, Callum Plowright is training to be a mental health social worker. And that's quite a lot of who I am at the moment. 
but there is yeah I think there is more to me than that um yeah I find that when I talk to when I talk to somebody one-on-one it very quickly starts feeling like therapy and I was I was slightly (laughs) worried that I might end up saying like saying way too much (laughs) um (laughs) when I talk to you but um but I think it's probably safe I can um uh, I can say who I remember as being Cullen Playwright. When I was studying in Manchester, I uh, got an email saying, uh, I'm Callum and I'm looking for a cellist to join my band. And this was an email sent out to all the cellists in college in Manchester. So that's, that's really a lot of cellists. And I would usually not reply to any of these emails, but there was something about the way you had worded it. It was just so genuine I think I related to your way of writing which was just very spontaneous and and nice and so I uh, responded and so we met and uh, you had a cassette player portable yeah no it was it was a portable tape player and we sat next to each other on a bench and I played the recording of me and Raffaella playing together but then I was slightly worried about the how in tune the vocals were. So I was singing into the wind in the hope that you wouldn't realise that I was singing, but that, it, <laughs> but that it, it would sound better. And you were the only person that responded to that email. So I'm very glad, mm-hmm. I'm very glad that you did. I'm very glad I did, yeah. It, it was meant to be. So Rafaela is a, a French... Um, Undercover violinist, I would say. Yeah, she's even more, she was undercover then, but now I think she's seriously undercover. Although actually, I think she actually writes, I think she writes quite a lot at the moment, um, but I don't know how much she's doing on violin. I'm not really up to date with anybody, including myself, but I've got a (laughs) feeling that that's going on. Mm. But then I started to... um meet up with you and Rafaela in her uh, flat and we uh, played your songs that you had made and uh, I was pretty good at rhythm and Rafaela had perfect pitch so since you didn't have any music theory behind you so you couldn't uh, write down what you wanted us to play you would sing and I would pick up the rhythm and Rafaela would pick up the pitches and that's how we could actually all play together. That was nice. Yeah. That period of time feels like a dream. I know that's I know that's a bit of a cliche thing to say. It definitely feels like a dream. I mean, it was sure. quite a long time ago, but I feel like, at least for me, things felt simpler then. Actually, even, it's not just looking back, it's not just because it was a long time ago. I think even then I was completely, um, I was completely intoxicated with the feeling of playing music with you and Raffaella. But yeah, that space feels like a hard one to get back to. Mm. Can you remind me how you found Raffaella? Um, I found Raffaella. I mean, these stories now, they seem so silly. Not silly. <laughs> they, I think when I did it, I felt so earnest and genuine. And they, they, they just seem funny. But yeah, so I, I had a sign... I wrote a sign that said violinist required to play my songs with me and like walked around the street hoping someone would come up to me. Some people did, but I didn't really like 
I didn't get a good vibe off them. And then I went into Big Hands, which is a bar that Raffaella was working in. And a woman called Chloe saw the sign and she said that I should come back and speak to Raffaella. And she said, she said Raffaella played the violin so much that her elbow always hurt, which I've never quite understood where that story came from because when I met Raffaella, it didn't seem that she was playing, she was playing, although she was amazing at the violin, I didn't get the impression that she was playing it that often. I think she required quite a lot of coaxing to play it. Um, yeah. And so, oh, and then I, I think, sorry, I feel like I'm telling the story terribly, but anyway, I went, um, I came back when Raffaella was working during the day. And again, I took that same tape player. Um, but this time it was the song minus her violin. And yeah, I had a set of headphones that only had one ear working. And she sat on the, on one of the sofas and listened to it and was like, hmm, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how it started. Yeah, it was a really magical time when I look back at it. And a part of me is really, really sad that we all moved to different countries. Well, you stayed, but both me and Rafaela moved. But I think I, I think maybe I moved first or something. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if it was to do with the age that we were. But I think, I mean, this is where it turns into therapy. But I think... There is something that I am searching for that I partly search for a bit in music. But I think I regret not recognizing how much I had then, if that makes sense. I'm not sure what I would have done differently. Maybe it's like a lack of ambition or I'm not sure. Yeah, I suppose what I'm saying is I also feel there's a lot of sadness there for me as well. Mm. It feels like it ended in a strain. It didn't end, but thing, it felt like everyone was kind of working things out or dealing with things. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it only felt it was ending uh, when we, we were living in different countries. And we even kind of took up our songs a year later when we, uh, you visited me in Norway. Yeah. And we kind of, that was the last time I think that we, uh, or maybe the year after when we met in France. Ah, anyway, I am, um, I was thinking about today, like how differently it would have been today or if I was older or something like that. Cause I would have definitely been uh, more into, you know, preserving the project in the way that is actually possible now. You know, over distance, we can actually do a lot, but technology was never really a part of our band. We uh, only got as advanced as to make a cassette and a CD, but we were never really doing anything digitally. No, I think it was like a lack of skills in that area that was like bundled up with some idea of, of like keeping things simple. But I think it was more that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have known where to have started to make it, to actually incorporate that stuff. So I just kind of postured and was like, no, 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 we don't need that kind of stuff. We're just going to keep it really simple. And that was a part of the beauty as well. We were gigging a lot. We were playing in various pubs, mainly. Did we play in uh, the squat, the OK Cafe? 
Yeah, we did play in the OK Cafe. But I I just remembered that I think not only did we like shun technology, but we wouldn't Yeah, I think we even refused to be mic'd up. <laughs> so I remember there I remember there were quite a lot of times we, we where we would play in quite loud places and then because people wouldn't be quiet and we'd just stand up and go either go to a quieter room. Or there was that time where we played in Big Hands and we went and played in the car park. Yes. And that was, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was lovely. And some people came to listen to us in the car park. Yeah, I think some people really loved it, but it felt like it was quite difficult to find people that actually wanted to listen to it. Like when we went to Norway to see you, I had this image of us playing and people like gathering around and listening. But I feel like all of our efforts to like play on the street were kind of almost almost like systematically ignored. And we were just like trying to, we were just trying to earn enough money to like buy one sandwich and just no one was interested in anything. Now and again, like a single person would, would show interest, but I don't think it had wide appeal for some reason. But, you know, playing on the street, I think that's different because then people just, you know, street musicians just goes into this particular box in the mind that says, uh, ignore, continue getting from A to B. Yeah, maybe I was hoping that we were so great that people would be kind of startled out of their everyday disposition. Mm. Um, But no, yeah, you're right. That disposition was, um, I suppose, firmly ingrained in people such that not not even our music could shake them out of it. (laughs) No. When I think back at uh, one of the very last gigs we did in Manchester, which was together with were they called peak district yeah they were called peak district so more of an electronic group and when when thinking back at that gig and the music we were playing I mean that's the kind of thing I would love to be involved in right now and if I were then I would just I don't know think about really how to get gigs and like get well known and to record music and release it and all the things that I'm thinking about now but back then I I didn't have a smartphone I didn't have Instagram I I'd even deleted my Facebook I just didn't care at all about preserving anything so everything we did with the band was just like what we were doing in the moment and for the people who were there and then it was gone except in our memories i can't work out whether that was a good idea or not because i because <laughs> <laughs> we record we recorded the first like five songs and then then basically on a cassette no 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 the one so that poor guy matt in the mansion yeah yeah isn't yeah his name was matt he like kind of like really went out of his way like to enthusiastically record all of this music and then we basically made like 20 cds and then i think we played somewhere and i was i don't know what it was but i just got really frustrated and gave all the cd gave all the cds away to people that weren't interested and then i don't even have a copy of that cd or any of the files for it and then with all of the music that i wrote afterwards yeah, I didn't want to preserve any of it. But now I like 
I'd quite like to at least have something. But all of the songs that we wrote after the songs that we recorded with Matt, yeah, there's virtually no, yeah, there's no record of it. No. None. rather dingy flat that Rafaela lived in at some point above the bank where you were teaching us this row of notes which was actually a kind of atonal section which came kind of out of nowhere. I can't remember anything else of this song but at some point there was this atonal section of notes and we spent a long time just memorizing this section until we could actually play it yeah yeah so that's a nice way of going into you as a musician because you just play what comes to you and you don't I don't know how it's like now but at least back then you hadn't had any formal musical training you tuned the the guitar in a way that sounded like something you wanted to do something with, which was not at all a standard tuning. And then you would uh, make these songs that did not have standard structures and they did not have standard chord progressions. And 
a really dynamic, unique type of songs. Oh, I'm glad someone thinks so. <laughs> um, yeah, how is it now? Um, now I only really play in standard tuning. It'd be interesting to see what you thought of the stuff that I write now. I think back then I felt much less inhibited musically. Like music was just very much just just about playing with my friends. And I kind of was able to sustain this this kind of fantasy in my head where I loved the music that I'd written and I loved playing it with my friends. I wanted to keep the rest of the world outside of that. I don't think I realised that I wanted to do that back then, but I know that now, now that the world has come into my head, I find it much harder to write. I feel there's much more judgment in my head than there used to be. I suppose I also have less time. I mean, good luck editing that. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I've become good at editing. I sound like I'm really, I'm really kind of succinct and to the point when it, when in reality I'm going, um, um. Oh, everyone knows that. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So, what do you mean by the world uh, coming to you? The world coming into my head. Um, I suppose sometimes life feels like you you kind of start off with a kind of ideal picture of things and that's kind of like slowly chipped away at by various disappointments. I think that when I was writing, when I was 18, this kind of bubble that I'd created for myself where it was just me, you and Raffaello, and we kind of, we would go and sit in that flat and play together and play this music and no one really knew who we were. Um, yeah, there was like a couple of people that thought we were like the best thing that had ever happened. And then we kind of lived in this, in this little world. And I, th- I think that was a place in which I was able to feel special. And I think that meant a lot to me. But then I think later on when like various projects kind of came to an end or people fell out. Yeah. That, that, that's what I'm trying to say is that relationships, not with you and Raffaella, but relationships with other people broke down. And then these things that I tried to keep outside of that safe space in which I was writing music kind of yeah, came in and you're not able to see things in the same way. If, if that makes sense. I think with all the music I write, there's like a little part of me that I'm um, that wants to believe that it's like wonderful. And the only way I can sustain that self-belief is by almost keeping the world out. And the more I realize that, you know, it's lovely music, but it's not, it's not the most wonderful thing ever. You know what I'm like? I'm just like a child who's drawn a picture and like the picture is kind of nice the child wants it to be this wonderful thing. I hold the drawing up to other people and I'm desperate for the world to say it's wonderful. And when someone's like, oh, you know, that's an all right picture, my kind of childhood fantasy just collapses. And so I turn away. And so now what I do, and the reason that you can't find anything that I've done is because I just keep it close to me. Because if I keep it close, I can sustain this fantasy that it's or I am special. <laughs> so this is what this is what I mean. I'm saying way too much. <laughs> I think that's uh, that makes sense uh, for me, for sure. 
I uh, feel very happy when I can just keep my cello playing to myself and it feels like a safe space. And now I've uh, started to put some cello playing out on YouTube and in social media and uh, there's something a little uncomfortable about it. Yeah, I definitely know that feeling. This is the thing is that I've got some friends who say that they're... Actually, it's not it's not the initial iteration of the band with you and Raffaella, but it's when I tried to start it again after you guys had left and I'd returned to Manchester. And some people say that that's their favourite band, but they never actually heard it. And that iteration of the band only played five shows and we didn't record anything. But some people that saw it basically said, probably said it was all right. And But because we put so much effort into it, it, it kind of amongst a small group of people it took on like a uh, some kind of mystery so some of my friends who say it's their favorite band even though they didn't know me then and never heard it I know actually if they did hear it they wouldn't think it was that good because it's not really their type of thing so that's probably why I quite like to keep it a secret because I imagine if someone listened to this they might start to think, wow, maybe, you know, maybe this guy really got something going on and he's keeping it secret. And then they might li- listen to my music and they might think, yeah, it's okay. Or they might like it a bit, you know, it's nothing exceptional. But, um, <laughs> or they might just think that is rubbish. What is this, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> but I guess if they are thinking that, they don't need to worry because I'm now a, I'm going to be a full-time social worker, so I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not putting too much time into it. So now you can start releasing things. <laughs> yeah, well, this is my plan because mm. I've got a brother called Max. He's kind of taken all the advice that I've tried to give to myself but couldn't accept, but he's actually kind of taken it on. So he's, you know, I always wanted to be someone that read a lot, but I actually don't really have the concentration for it. But I always encouraged him to read and then he's become like a really avid reader. And I always encouraged him to like, you know, to write lots of music and just to release it. He's just done that and just written loads of great stuff. So I think he's only 16 and he's already like released more music than I ever have. And I'm 31. And so I'm thinking that maybe I definitely need to become way less precious and just let go of the I mean this year again it's therapy I need to let go of my childhood and (laughs) become an adult but um yeah and I am you know I am trying to do that you know I uh, now when you were talking I uh, for just a couple of seconds I fell out because I I was imagining asking my mum to locate this uh, cd that we made uh, which I think is in my uh, old bedroom at her place somewhere. Uh, and it has this paper cover that you made paper covers for all of them from like newspaper or something like that. Uh, it was very, you know, sustainable production. And yeah. you had made, you had made this amazing print thing. Yeah, I actually, I thought that was quite, I did think that was quite good at the time. It was really cool. And I know I still have my copy and I was just imagining my mum finding it and uh, managing to copy the CD onto her computer and she could send them to me and I could somehow manage to include them in this episode. I don't know if it could work but just the thought of it was just so uh, enchanting. But then that's the thought of it that's really enchanting. You know, because even though I've said, oh, you know, it's probably rubbish, 
there'll be part of people that are still thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe it was absolutely incredible. And that might do more for them than actually listening to it. They might think, wow. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I wanted in some ways. Really? But uh, can't we come out of the closet? Oh, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If there is yeah. an opportunity for it. That's uh, true. I need it's to... It's been nearly 10 years. Yeah, maybe it's time. <laughs> I would love to listen to them again, to their songs. You're living in London, mm-hmm. uh, studying. Yeah. And uh, what role does music making have in your life now? Hmm. Um, I still write a lot and I still play every day. Guitar. Yeah, guitar or piano or singing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really want to play some music live uh, again and i do actually i do want to to maybe maybe release um some music as a kind of yeah because i think it would be good i need to stop being silly and just and just release some stuff what was the question what role music making has for you today hmm what role does it have for you ah What role does it have to me? It's like a, a, a type of home, something to come home to, which is uh, it's like a space. At the same time, it's also the skill that I'm developing the most, and it's so enjoyable to keep on expanding this particular skill and to improve in ways that I feel I want to improve and to memorize music that I would like to be able to just play at any time. So there's something just really enjoyable about having this focus point in my everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite succinct. Um <laughs> I think when I write music, I always think about playing it in front of people. That's the thing that I'm, that's the thing that I enjoy doing the most. Unless, not just playing it in front of people, but playing it with other people. Um, and so when I can just sit and play the guitar, I can just lose myself for a minute and not have to think about why or what it's for. But yeah, I don't have any kind of <laughs> any idea what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm just kind of doing what I normally do, which is kind of constant. I feel like I'm constantly about to fall over and just always trying to keep myself standing. And then I think that that applies to all of the stuff that I do. I think if someone is listening to this, I suppose you can probably get a sense of what's going on for me. Well, actually, it depends how well edited it is. 
because maybe if it's been edited to make me seem like I'm quite a kind of um, like together coherent person then you won't have any any you won't really have a sense of what's going on for me <laughs> if, if Ragnhild managed it through the process of editing to kind of capture my ongoing incoherence then like then maybe maybe you'll kind of get a sense of what what's going on <laughs> have you spoken to anybody yet who's like really kind of like this is me this is what I'm doing huh. uh, I guess it's not as simple as that um uh it's it's quite diverse most people have a a certain amount of incoherence that we kind of all have. But I recently talked to another British guy. How could you? And there's something about, uh, how could I? Um, there's something about the way a lot of Brits talk, which is very, I mean, you're the exception to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I've listened to so many podcast episodes where Brits are talking and it seems like they have very strong habits on how to start and complete a sentence and it's just going it's just rolling and then it feels like they really know what they're doing you I think represent so many people who enjoy music making but not you know pursuing a career in it or anything like that it's just something that you have and you have this uh, intrinsic motivation to do because no one else is putting pressure on you to do it and you don't have to do it to make money or it's it shows this innately human way of uh, of relating to music making which is just an urge to do it and there's nothing really more to explain it's just something we do and it's a yeah it's a non-verbal place we go unless we sing maybe <laughs> yeah i had a chat with a um with an art therapist so that i'm currently doing a placement in a child and adolescent mental health mental health service and i had a chat with an art therapist that was working there and she was talking about the way in which different people relate in this case it was kind of to painting or drawing or just doing art in general i suppose and we were talking about the difference between kind of producing something for something and then just playing where you're just doing it for its own sake. And I think that that's something that I want to try and get back to more because I'm not just, it's not just an intrinsic motivation. I think there probably is, I know there is this place in my head where I'm imagining, you know, I'm sat, I'm sat in my room on my own playing this music. I mean, I think everyone does this. You're playing music on your own. You're like, you know, imagining other people being like, oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. So I'm sure that's part of the motivation. But also when you can just play, you're being like like a child, like you're not doing it because it has some kind of instrumental value, no pun intended. You're forgetting something, you're just playing because it's fun. I just remember that I started playing guitar, my parents broken up, my dad was seeing this seeing I don't know what I guess you know my dad was having some kind of relationship with a woman in the town that we lived in I don't know why he brought me over there but I was there I was really bored and I went and sat in the basement and there was a guitar and there was a book on chords and so I just learned a couple of chords and sat there 
I mean, I guess it's like overcoming boredom a lot of the time, you know, and what better way to overcome boredom than to play music? Video games. Video games. <laughs> I feel like it's difficult to do music in a way that isn't active. You know, like you can just, you can have a very kind of passive relationship to some, to some things. Like, you know, when I'm, when I watch TV, I'm just like trying to switch my head off, but that feels different when I'm playing music. It's like a more act- active form of escape. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I guess it can be an escape, but it can also be uh, to reconnect with existence. No, for me, it's always, <laughs> for me, it's always like, where's the exit? Let me out of here. gathering and uh, something came up in conversation that made me think now that you're the one to ask about this because you have a certain interest in politics I'm not going to talk about uh, British politics or anything like that but someone in the band said something along the lines of everything is political and then another one in the band just said immediately no that's so not true and all I was thinking was I don't even know what that means I don't even know what makes something political and what does not make something political and is music political? I This is a total blind spot for me. Oh, how am I going to answer this question? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I should have a, some kind of answer to that question. I too go around saying that everything is political, but I think maybe sometimes people, sometimes people think about politics in terms of like British politics, like, the British political system or like what's going on 
in Britain at the moment. Whereas politics for me is, um, it's a bit of a big question. Why is, um, I suppose when, when I say everything is political, it's a way of pushing back against um, an attitude towards the world that seeks to kind of step back from taking a position on things. Maybe what it is is that everything has the potential to be political. I think, like, in some people's everyday experience of the world, you know, they might have things that they struggle with, but, you know... They might kind of see things, see the way things are as just a kind of how things are and that things can't be otherwise. So the way that things are becomes naturalized. You know, things aren't political. Things are, things are just as they are kind of better or worse. For me, when I say everything is political, you're trying to say there's stuff going on. There are struggles taking place. Basically, they don't have to be the way that they are. Yeah, the way the world is, is reproduced every day. And trying to say that everything is political, is, I think, is about trying to get people to engage in things and not to kind of see themselves as outside politics. I, mean, I think I'm making some sense. I guess because some people, at least at a point in time, would have seen me as political because I was trying to... Why am I political? You made a song before the election. <laughs> what, what, what song? Oh, what the um, the one of me, the Christmas song. Is it the one where I? Is it where there's the video and I'm like dancing around? Yeah, yeah. Like dun 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 dun. You're like yes, that's a famous British Christmas song. With your take on it. Yeah, so I changed all the lyrics in order yeah. to say that people should vote for Jeremy Corbyn rather than right. anybody else. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. So in that sense, music is political. I always saw music as political because music obviously affects people. And whilst I can be like, you know, I'm just in my bedroom just like playing my guitar and just kind of like zoning out, that's like one way of looking at my situation, but it's one that's quite decontextualized. It doesn't like recognize the kind of, it doesn't recognize like how it is structurally that I've come to be in a position where I have time to do that or how I have access to those instruments or like the impact of me being a man in the world as it's currently constructed or me being white like all of these different aspects of things shape the way in which things occur so i think when people are saying like everything is political in some ways it's just trying to say there's loads of shit going on and don't just kind of naturalize things it's about taking a position on something and i suppose when some people think that they don't need to take a position on on something and the ability to not take a position is often a luxury afforded to people because it isn't afforded to others. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because like, I can also feel some kind of wholeness of this topic, but I can just like feel it as, as an image or something. I'm not able to go in and make concrete sentences of why this is the best I could do would be to say something hippie like such as it's all connected <laughs> yeah I mean everything is connected I guess the hippie thing is like everything is connected 
maybe I prefer to say, well, not that I go around saying this, but I think it's better to say that everything is relational. The hippie thing can be a bit like vague, where it's, whereas being like everything is literally like you don't need to take acid to recognize that everything is connected. I mean, take any object. Who made you, who made your trousers? Where did they come from? <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Yeah. Everything's yeah. got, everything's got a context. Yeah. It's funny. I've had, I've had so much education and yeah, I still cannot, when, especially when put on the, on the spot, struggle to make any sense at all. Um, but I'm happy if anyone wants to talk further about anything discussed today, um, please contact Cragna Hills and she can pass on my email address and I'm happy to, happy to clarify anything. Can you say something about what has influenced your music making? I find, I find these questions so <laughs> impossible to answer. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you. No, it's not, not, they're not bad questions. I just, I think one of the biggest influences on the way that I write music was an essay by a guy called Adorno called On Popular Music. And from what I can remember in the essay, he basically, from what I can tell, this like hates all formulaic music. And his point about that is that he thinks which kind of relates to maybe to what I was saying earlier, but he thinks that the basically kind of pop music is pre-digested. So we kind of already know what we're going to get. And for that reason, he thinks it's pacifying. So there's this quote that I really used to like. I can't remember who it's by, but it's, I want to say Alexander Pope. <laughs> that can't be right. Um, but, <laughs> but the quote is, in all my artistic endeavors i try to vex people rather than divert them and the idea is that art should be disruptive i guess trying i suppose trying to disrupt the taken for granted but the impact that this had on me musically was that i decided that if i wanted to be like a proper radical if i wanted to change the world if i wanted to um move beyond move beyond if we wanted to move beyond capitalism then i was going to have to write music that wasn't formulaic and also i was going to have to not rec i decided I, i couldn't record music either because i didn't want people to be like sat on the bus listening to my music i mean not that that was going to happen anyway but i wanted i wanted my music to be something that was engaging but in the end i focused more on the form in which i performed it rather than the actual content so the content kept changing, but it was more that you wouldn't record and that you would, and so that there wasn't a sense that you could return to the thing that you were, were in front of. I had it in my head. I'm not sure if I agree with it now, but that because of the way in which we were always recording things, there's a the sense in which we're always trying to capture the fact that moments disappear. And that if I never recorded my, recorded my music, that when people watched it, if I could write something that was really beautiful, they'd feel moved. And, but more than that, they'd feel like they were witnessing something that, that they couldn't have again. And I felt that that had some kind of disruptive potential. That was like a massive influence on, yeah, on music that I wrote. And then I think it's just like all of the music that I listened to when I was a kid. 
I mean, I least love Radiohead. I feel like I can't, I can't really get to them anymore. They feel quite disenchanted to me now. Maybe that's what I mean. Back when we, me, you, and me, me, you and Craigenhild, and back, back when me, you, and Raphael used to play together, the world felt like enchanted, and now it feels very disenchanted. And when I was like eighteen, I listened to Radiohead, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was like completely like bought into it. But now I just, I find it difficult to get back to that space in my head. But Radiohead were a big influence at some point. Mm. Um, you introduced me to uh, a Radiohead album that actually made me like them. You remember? I think it was Hail to the Thief. Yeah, it was LP in Raffaella's living room. She had this uh, very uh, cool living room with some it was so dark cool. red wall. And uh, it was uh, always dark because we would always uh, rehearse there in the evening. Uh, so I remember I was a little disappointed whenever we were there at daytime and it seemed less magical. But anyway, you put on the LP of Hail to the Thief and we listened to it from beginning to end. And then I started listening to whole albums and it made such a difference. Because you couldn't play a song on, that was a rule on that record player in Raffaella's flat, that you couldn't play a single song. You had to play an album. If you wanted to listen to to a particular song, you had to listen to the album front to back. Nice. It's good though, isn't it? Yeah. I was introduced to psychedelics I haven't been able to really enjoy Radiohead anymore why is that I think it sounds too too serious hmm you know 
I don't normally have recommendations because I don't. I feel like I don't listen to music very much. But I'd like to plug. What's his name? His name is Alex Paxton, and he's got a new album out called Music. What is it? Music for Bosch people. Bosch people. Yeah, B O S C H. Like the the Hoover. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know. If that's who he's aiming. I think that's how he spelt Bosch. That is, yeah. Listen to that album, and that album is how I wish is where I wish I had ended up musically. Oh, you're you're thirty one. You're still a wee lad. You reckon? You reckon there's still time? Oh yeah. Oh, that's good for sure. Yeah. Okay, it's early days. Alex Paxton, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can collaborate maybe on the next album. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Alex Paxton if you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me he won't be. Oh, who knows? I can hashtag him. Maybe he will. Uh... <laughs> that was so funny. We listened to it. <laughs> do people actually search for hashtags? Because I, I hardly ever do that. But. Uh, but uh, I put them on the podcast episodes, not like long lists of them, but just like maybe four or five. I've got no idea. No, I'm so new to this whole hashtag thing. I used it for the first time in my life this year. But I will always get like a random someone liking it who I have no idea who is. And I see that it's someone who is interested in piano and maybe I used hashtag piano. So it looks like some people are searching for these things. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> um, in terms of other influences, I really liked the Dirty Projectors. This is the thing. What I do is I listen to a tiny bit of something and then I just let the memory of that thing help me write something. So I don't kind of like avidly go after something. You know, like I really like, Steve Reich but I feel like all of my references are really they're just quite obvious do you know what I mean like Radiohead Steve Reich and this kind of thing what am I saying I think I'm saying you know I want to have some like cool references but I don't have any maybe I'm embarrassed uh, Adorno fills the quota you definitely yeah are. that'll make some people some people who know Adorno will be like who's this guy but some, but other but yeah, other people. Some people might be like, "Oh, this this is this is interesting." It's an accomplished boy. Yeah, maybe some people will think that I'm really accomplished. That would be nice. Do you meditate? Oh, I tr- uh, <laughs> I've thought about it. I've started like breathing. I, well, <laughs> I, I haven't started. I've been breathing for ages. I've been breathing for such a long time. I'm often very anxious when I wake up in the morning and so I've taken to sitting on the sofa and like concentrating on my breathing and I kind of see that as meditative or whatever the word is. It's a shame I haven't got anything like to plug of my own, like, you know, stay tuned for my album. Although, you know, if anyone is thinking, even just out of curiosity that they want to hear something that I've written, if you email me, I will email you something. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Just email Krakenhill and I'll... Yeah. You're not uh, in any kind of social media? Um, No. I use my girlfriend's Instagram, 
sometimes mm. when I'm bored. But I don't use it. I just like look at things my friends are saying. I had a Facebook, but in order to concentrate, I like changed the password, but didn't look at the password that I wrote. And now I've been locked out of it permanently. And because I had a fake name, they won't let me back in. So no, I've got an email address. So I'm fairly, I'm fairly on top of it. I've also got a telephone number. Should I give that out? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to receive random calls? Yeah, if anyone wants to call me. Mm. Um, I wonder if anyone would call me. Think anyone would call me? Oh, you can you can see. Yeah, go on. That's exciting. That's okay. So my my number is oh seven five four seven three two three four three five. Give me a call. Nice. I'm in uh, I, I'm in the UK. If you could try and keep it to like reasonable times, but to be honest, I I always answer. I love getting private calls. And if, even if you wake me up in the middle of the night, I tend to find it exciting. So, you know, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my life will be ruined now. I like never ending phone calls. Yeah, basically Maybe. because I haven't been able to get the attention that childhood me thinks I deserve through music. I'm now just publicly sharing my <laughs> mobile phone number <laughs> in the hope that people will call me and mm. somehow make me feel valued. I know you're belittling yourself. I know that you're just uh, an adventure-seeking uh, soul. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. You are seizing life. Yeah, seize the day. Seize the day. We had a song. Yeah, we did. Called, uh, seize. called seize. Yeah. I'm still waiting for you to make me a pair of those carpe diem gloves. I made you a pair of socks. Did you get them? I did get them, but I want the original... For the listeners at home, Hills made the nicest pair of gloves that have ever been created. And they were green and in red they had they had carpe diem on each one. Carpe, however you say it. Carpe. <laughs> carpe <laughs> on one hand and diem on the other. And then I lost them. And it's devastating. And I've never I've never that is one of the losses that has that has led to the the decline in, in my musical output. So, oh, yeah. if you want to join the petition to get Kragnhild to um, make me a new pair, just drop me a just drop me a line on my number. I made that phone call. <laughs> yeah, and we'll work something out. Yeah, because I I remember I had some intricate patterns on them, and I have no idea what that was. But uh, if you're not uh, picky with the pattern, then I can uh, make you some mittens. You know what. I've got into making clothes, so maybe I could make you some clothes in return. I could make you a shirt. Oh, wow, I would love a shirt. Yeah, maybe you should wait until you receive something from me. That seems fair. Did you make the shirt you're wearing now? No, I didn't, actually, but I've got into sewing over lockdown. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. absolutely love it.
cares, warm and daring pleasure, clasping limbs and downy hairs. We intertwine as waves that swell to peaks that. For listening, send me an email if you want to talk to Callum about politics or any other random topic, and give him a call to wish him a happy birthday tomorrow on August the 20th. Also, let us know if you would like to listen to the songs of O'Howell in their entirety. Maybe we can finally make them more accessible. If you want to support this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a donation through my coffee page ko-fi.com slash the musician's journey podcast for any comments to me my email address is in the show notes and on my website ragnilvesenberg.com or you can find this podcast on instagram